Hello and welcome to the business community with me Heather Noble and me Tracy Jones and this week we're talking about the job market. Uh, There's been a lot of stuff in the news, um, loads of articles just in Financial Times this week about um, UK unemployment rates picking up and about the exodus of EU workers leaving the UK, about the construction industry facing shortages There was an article about Owens Transport, a Welsh company who was short of 100 HGV drivers. Uh, 50 of those were lost due to um, the EU settlement scheme and 50 presumably natural wastage or or, or other um, growth demands. And Owens have ended up um, paying an 11% rise to retain and attract HGV drivers, which is quite a big jump when sort of the average this year for pay rises has been 0-2%, you know, around about the 1% to 1.5% um, is a sort of the median. Um, and I think there's two things there. Um, there's the obviously the Brexit issue with the EU settlement, but also I understand from that same article I read about Owens is that 30,000 HGV tests were cancelled last year due to the pandemic. So they've so lost drivers and they can't replace them. So that yeah, so there's an actual shortage. Yeah. And then they're paying more to retain. Yeah. Or attract. Exactly. Okay. But then that's going to have knock-on effects everywhere else. Well, because we're going to be paying more. Hauling stuff's going to cost more money, isn't it? Therefore, well, it'll cost more money. Initially, it's going to be difficult to get transport because they haven't literally haven't got the drivers to do the transport. But then it's going to cost more money because you're having to pay more for the drivers. But also the knock-on effects to other industries. So if you can go and be an HGV driver, get your training paid for and get a good salary, you might leave some other industries to go and do that, might not you? Mm. So the knock-on effects to other industry will come further down the line. But not only that, I don't know if you've noticed hospitality struggling at the moment with recruiting staff. And I read another article about some uh, northwest hospitality firms who are paying finders fees to people to, who recommend staff to them, but also are on average paying £10,000 more per year in annual salary than they would normally do. For sort of front of house or waiting on or... Anything, yeah, chefs waited on and, you know, kitchen staff, they're having to pay a premium because presumably, again, the hospitality has been made up with um, people from the continent, hasn't it? So maybe they've gone back under the EU settlement schemes and... Also, it, it's often quite transient, isn't it, with students? Uh, you know, think yeah. maybe they're moving on. The students aren't in the cities at the moment because they're, you know, perhaps studying online. So, yeah, it's all a bit of a mess, really. And um, what the knock-on effects for that are that it's just getting more and more difficult to recruit and to retain. And we knew it was going to be difficult to recruit and retain anyway. So it just seems to have ramped up a gear in the last few months. All of that makes sense to me, but the original article that we saw was talking about part-time roles disappearing. Right. And 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 they're basically saying it was a LinkedIn article, um, but but then it's based on a report uh, that TimeWise uh, completed, and basically part-time work has dropped to its lowest level since 2010. And in this report, it says that only eight percent of vacancies offer part-time options. But 
around 80% of people that they interviewed would be interested in part-time work. So I would, uh, that doesn't make sense to me because I thought that we lived in a time when it was really hard to get a full-time job, but you could get a part-time job. You could get a few part-time jobs if you wanted a full-time. So I don't really know. And I don't understand why an employer who's looking for an employee wouldn't consider a couple of people on part-time as well, particularly the, with the way the jobs market is. At the well, and flexible working and yeah. all of those different things. So well, flexible working being, you know, a right unless you, the employer can say that it's not possible yeah. with that role. I, yeah, so I'm not... I haven't quite got my head around yeah. why, but, but this, this report um, is saying that, and it's, it's, an, it's quite an in-depth report and you can download a copy of it, published this month, um, and it, it's talking about making good jobs flexible and flexible jobs good. So, okay, that's that's fair enough. But exploring how part-time employees are faring and what more needs to be done to support them, because this, the it seems that they're they're suffering in some way. And I, I as I say, I can't I can't get my head around it. Of course, a lot of part-time posts are low paid posts yeah but i without reading the report in detail i can't it flies in the face of what i would expect to to be the case and then we've got the whole furlough stuff yeah you know so part-time people who might have been furloughed because again a lot of of the part-time jobs exist in organizations that were hugely impacted by you know so retail you know non-essential retail etc hospitality hospitality as you've already said so there's there's obviously a pattern but i I get that i get the the brexit thing but i don't get the part-time thing no that's an odd one isn't it yeah you if you would ask me i'd have said the opposite Mm. without having known about that report yeah be hard to get a full-time job yeah but Anyway, well, also out this week, so it's all about jobs this week, is the monthly labour market overview from the ONS. You know, I haven't referred to the ONS for months, I don't I think. Know. I was wondering, I was getting worried about it. <laughs> oh, don't, don't worry, I've gone back to it today. And the labour market overview um, was published 15th June, and it says that the job market is showing signs of recovery. Now, I think I've picked out a couple of areas where they're really struggling with recruitment, but I think in general they're, they're still behind um, pre-pandemic levels. Mm-hmm. But since April, uh, February to April, then there is definite signs of recovery there. Um, and the number of payrolled employees increased for the sixth consecutive month, um, and it's still below the um, the levels before the pandemic. But it's looking, it's showing really good, strong increase. But I just think it's behaving a lot differently. I think something's shifted, hasn't it? Yeah. Something's changed. And it might take a while for us to really know what the long-term impact is because we're, we're existing in a sort of false scenario at the moment, yeah. aren't we? Because KPMG um, have published some data and... and Basically, it's, this was, again, this month. Employers are urged by experts to look at their wage and benefits offering in order to attract more staff. 
Fall in labour supply puts skill shortage into sharp focus oh, research finds. Gosh, yeah. So that is the focus of my job at the moment, is reviewing benefits and pay and looking how to retain, how to recruit, how to bridge that skills gap. And it's not just me, it's everybody in the industry sector that I'm in. You know, I went to a conference earlier this week. Everybody's talking about the same thing. So it's a real thing. It's not just in pockets. It's a... yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it might be in certain pockets, but certainly in the, the big pocket of the industry that I work in. But um, referring back to the ONS report as well, it, it sort of refers to the fact that um, average pay has gone up as well. And interestingly, it sort of links in with what you're saying, because there's it, it says it's probably reflecting the fall in the number of lower paid jobs. So the average is stepping up because right. there's fewer okay. of the lower paid jobs. Um and total pay includes bonuses. Um, so I, th- I think there's just like this little shift. Something's changed, moved out of the market. Maybe these part-time jobs you're talking about. Mm. And then average pay inflation has As has a result. Yeah. But then something like transport companies having to pay 11% higher and hospitality paying 10 grand a year extra, that's going to have an impact as well. Yeah, yeah. The... Um... I mean, going back to the uh, article in People Management, which is where they're quoting the uh, KPMG stats, they're saying that um, the businesses frequently blame the shortfall in labour to a reluctance from potential candidates to seek new roles because of the ongoing uncertainty caused by the pandemic. So that's suggesting that people are staying put. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and and then some of those people who are staying put might be people who are furloughed. So then why would you... Why would you? Yeah. You're not going to look for another job while you're furloughed. Are you? Well, a lot of people aren't going to look for another job mm. while they're furloughed because they can have the time, have the money or a percentage of the yeah. money. Um, so maybe when the furlough scheme ends, then there'll be a big scrabble of people who are like, right now I'm going to jump ship and go to somewhere that I feel is a bit more um, robust, sustainable. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Wow, that's a labour market. We're no experts, are we, Heather? No, no, we're not. But there are some really, I think there's just some really interesting, but almost conflicting bits of data out there. And I know you can you can produce a report to say pretty much whatever you wanted yeah. to, but the ONS figures, you know, they are... Yeah, so those ONS figures, you can really trust them, and they're looking at the the big picture... And they're saying that, you know, it's still slightly lower than before. Mm-hmm. So there's been some some paradigm changes along the way, perhaps, in the way that people are viewing the market or the way that the market's structured. Do you think that there might be people who, because of COVID, have um, taken a look at their lives and perhaps decided to retire Probably, early? Yeah. You know, so then they're, they're going to be people who might have been in the jobs market that aren't in the jobs market anymore because they've removed themselves so whether there's big shocks like that you know it's like a pandemic has been a a big shock to society in general but you know when people are faced with a serious illness they often rethink Mm. where their life's going so maybe it's a similar sort of effect people have thought you know actually I don't want to do that work anymore I want to do this I want to be (laughs) self-employed I want to totally change my career and go into kayaking or something I I don't know (laughs) I think the self-employment thing is is a biggie because faced with 
you, a change, yeah. you might think, well, actually, particularly if people have been managing on less money or if they have fallen you know, into redund- redundancy. Or, or, as we have seen, that some people have started businesses whilst on furlough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we've talked about those before, haven't yeah. we? Some people yeah. have made great successes from doing that. Yeah. Well, I think it's going to be interesting. Um, my own experience of hospitality has been quite mixed, but I think it's been quite clear that most of the hospitality outlets I've experienced over the last few weeks have struggled with staffing. Anyway, let's review a book. We're both holding a book. And thank you, Heather. Mine was a lovely gift that arrived in the, the post. Um, and, and you put a little note with it, and it says, well, let me read the note. Let's start with happy. And I think my immediate response was, no, we're going to go for two out of three. <laughs> so we're, we're reviewing the book that we talked about a couple of weeks ago and um, when we, we profiled Stephen Bartlett. Yeah. And his book is called Happy Sexy Millionaire. Unexpected Truths About Fulfillment, Love and Success. And at the time, Heather had the book and I was like, oh, I like the feel it's of got, this. Yeah, it's got a nice And feel I, I had too. a look at the pages. I thought, oh, that layout looks good. There's a good mixture of text and quotes and um, diagrams and lo and behold it turned up so the two that we're opting for although actually you might opt for two different ones I'm going for happy and sexy (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'd like millionaire but I'm nowhere near Uh, Heather Uh, well I think I've got more chance of being a millionaire than being classed as sexy (laughs) so I'm going to go for that millionaire Heather that's why she could afford to buy me a book as a gift isn't it uh, and I'm gonna say it's, it was an absolute treat I, I knew I liked the feel you know just the feel of it yeah. when you when you um, let me hold your copy yeah and now I'm holding my own and uh, yeah I've, I've read um, just over halfway and I like how it you know when we talked when we profiled him and I just like the cut of his jib, yeah. this this guy. I like the way he talked. I like the way he presented himself. And I really like the way he writes as well. Yeah, I think if anybody isn't aware of who he is, he, he started um, Social Chain, which is a social media platf- platform. Would you call it a platform? or Company. Com- company. Um, <laughs> marketing. They do social media marketing. There we go. Um, and basically created a, a business that was worth $300 million by the age of 25. So um, he, the reason the book's called Happy Sexy Millionaire is that he wrote in his diary that he wanted to be a happy, sexy millionaire by the age of 25. And um, this book doesn't talk that much about business per se. It's more a mindset, isn't Mm. it? I mean, he he maps it onto his business success. Yeah, well, I... What I found really interesting and engaging at the beginning is when he talks about the fact that, yeah, he was a, a millionaire. His, his business had you know, just um, been valued at an extraordinarily eye-watering amount. And he reflected and he wasn't thrilled. He didn't feel his life had changed and he was surprised by that. And he spoke to his partner, his business partner, who was equally flat and I think that was a big shock for him. And he writes a lot about the the self-exploration he did as a result of recognising that actually what he thought was success wasn't actually um, giving him the, the feelings that he thought he yeah. would get from it. Yeah. And he and throughout the book, so obviously there's text, but there are some great little diagrams, there's some great quotes. And it ev- everything, that every bit that, that I look at 
is giving us a chance to reflect, yeah. change the way that we think. Um, and it's only when we don't accept the status quo, but we don't try to be anybody other than oh, ourselves, so. I, that we uh, become successful. Yeah. Or almost, not by accident, obviously it's through hard work, but while you're trying to be something that you're not, you ain't never going to make it. Yeah. And that's, that's really that's important. Quite a good mantra. And you, we did both mention the word quote, but actually it's not somebody else's quote. All of these quotes are his quotes yeah. from the book. Yeah. And so even if all you did was flick through the book and read some of his quotes, you'll get the idea of where the book's going. So one that's just opened for me, um, I love this. Um, follow your passion has become a powerful piece of anxiety-inducing career bullshit. Isn't that just true? Yeah. If yeah. that's all you have to do is follow your passion and you'll find the money. How many people are trying to do that and they're finding there's no Making money no there? Money. Yeah. yeah. And then suddenly their passion isn't their passion anymore and shit what's left yeah. because that was my passion now I haven't got a passion and I've got no money yeah. and you can see that anxiety yeah I put everything into that yeah. and it wasn't the right path yeah. it wasn't the right route so, so there's a whole chapter on that um, um, we're all being fucked by binary boxes if you don't mind the language Heather um, that's chapter 7 in which he, he talks about that um, and yeah he's just saying that it's a stupid question what's your passion you know, it's a toxic question. He in in that chapter he, he talks about or, or in the element uh, creating your passion. He he's got some stats um, from nineteen seventy two to two thousand and six. So they're they're a little bit out of date, but um, but they're interesting. Um, there were some surveys about job satisfaction uh, where f over fifty thousand people responded, and they're ranked and the percentage satisfaction for the clergy 87.2% job satisfaction a firefighter 80.1% satisfaction an author 74.2 satisfaction and a teacher 692 uh, now what what he's saying there is that very often jobs in which you help people rank higher because some of the job satisfaction is not about the financial reward. It's about, yeah. it's, it goes back to what we used to call vocational work, yeah. you know, where it's not my passion, it's my vocation. And I do it for the price that I am prepared to do it because it means something to me that I get something from it. Yeah, and and you can do it as well. I think that's quite important. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're actually Something's proficient at it, yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, f following up from that one is the um, is the idea of how much work is too much and how much is too little. I don't know if you've seen that in um, in the chapter. It's talking about society telling you how much work is too little and how much work is too much. So simultaneously, society is peddling the idea that you're not working hard enough alongside the narrative that you're working too hard and you're going to burn out. But isn't that true? Yeah. You can't get it right. You know, you're, you're either too busy or you're not busy enough. Um, and that this whole comparison thing as well, he really goes in hard on this, and particularly on social media. And I thought this was quite interesting because he's he runs he's made his money from a social media marketing company, mm. but he's very down on comparing yourself to people on social media. Yeah, he. We, I think it's because he's about the truth of social media yeah. rather than the false 
social media. And he knows what it can do and how it can change your behaviours and Mm. lead you to to act in certain ways. But following on from what you said before as well, he said trying to imitate someone that you follow and admire is a surefire way of never becoming someone that is followed and Mm. admired. Mm. So it, it says that your idols did it their own way. And if you want to achieve something, then you have to do it your your own way. Don't just try and follow them. So those people that you see on social media, don't don't just copy what they're doing. Strike out on your own and and make yourself something unique. Yes, yeah, because, and I suppose, you know, this is, it's a lesson in business in that while you're focused on what the competition doing, you're not actually focused on what your business is doing and of course you need to be aware of the competition and what they're but but don't spend too much time thinking about oh god why didn't we think of that when yeah. they think of something for yourself and you know and move forward on that uh because and and he also talks quite a lot about not not judging people i mean a bit with the social media element you know don't make judgments about people and he tells he tells a story of um a, a guy that he met in a in a club, I think, um, at, at a hip hop event, and this guy looked like he was really down on his uppers. Yeah. And um, he's you know he sort of uh, he was on he was unemployed, living off job seekers allowance, playing video games at his mum's house, whatever. But he met um, Stephen and then got in contact with him, and basically asked if he could have a job. And Stephen didn't reply, and then he kept pursuing him. And he gave him a job. He offered him a job as a marketing director without so much as an interview, just because he was... So persistent. Well, he said, Ashley was unqualified and inexperienced, but unfortunately, so was I. Um, (laughs) But he then worked with him, alongside him, for six years. And now, Ashley um, is a 33-year-old CEO and founder of his own company, and that company is leading the way within its industry. So he said, that short, inaudible, seemingly introverted guy that I met six years ago appears to have grown an extra foot in height, <laughs> has become the most self-assured voice in the room and set fire to all the labelled boxes he once called home. So it, it, he said, I didn't know anything about his circumstances, so I didn't treat him like his circumstances. And I think that, you know, he talks about reaching down and, and helping people up yeah. rather than pushing people down. And I think that that's the sentiment that sort of goes throughout the book, really treat people well and you get something from it yeah it's not just about them being helped up yeah yeah and that I've always said this about um, charitable work that I've done so I do volunteer work for various charities over the years and I've made no bones about the fact that I do it because it's helping other people but I've always got something back from it as well and I, and I think anybody who's doing it without recognizing what it is they're getting back from it one is missing out yeah. on appreciating what that work is doing for them and the other one is really doing the um, organization a disservice as well yeah yeah, yeah no I agree yeah you the trade-off is yes you don't get paid for volunteering but if you're volunteering in the right capacity in the right place, it should be nurturing you or rewarding yeah. you in some way, emotional or intellectually, whatever it might be, so that you thrive and yeah. therefore... Because the I think without recognising that you do get something from it, sometimes it can create a, 
um, a toxic attitude in volunteers, can't it? Because they go, well, I'm giving you my time for free, so you should be grateful. Yeah. And it's all about what I'm giving to the organisation. Yeah. And there's yeah. always something you get from yeah. giving. There always is. Well, and the clue's in the word volunteer. You know, you're not <laughs> press-ganged into volunteering, are you? You. It's not slavery. No, you <laughs> seek out to volunteer. So there must have been a reason why you wanted to do that. Um and that's the reason, that's what you get, that's what you're getting back from it. Yeah. And I think that also fits in with this, um, his chapter he's got on gratitude. And it is, it is basically, you know, saying if you, you could reach a point where you've got so much, but if you don't, you're not grateful for what you've got, it's never, you're never going to yeah. be satisfied with yeah. it. And you could be satisfied and grateful for a very small amount, and you can be very unsatisfied and ungrateful with an enormous amount. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So it's about finding that gratitude and actually yeah. expressing gratitude along the way. He says, gratitude has transformed me from feeling that what I have isn't enough. And bear in mind, he'd just been told that his, his business was worth an awful lot of money to feeling like it's more than enough. And it's made me feel like I'm enough. And Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it, it, I think he's been on that journey. And the point of the book is to help us to recognise he's helping us to fast track effectively um so that we don't have to go through some of the pain that he of learning that he's been but don't, don't you think i mean he's he's a young guy but i think the way he writes he's got an awful lot of learning that hopefully would inspire younger people who are you know just setting out in their journeys into their careers even older people like me i, I was inspired by it but to have this sort of resource and this sort of role model in business, and that's key because the younger people, they don't necessarily see the older dragons as role models, do they? This guy he's, on Dragon's Den, yeah, he could be a real role model for the future. Yeah, he's of, on the money, isn't he? Business, yeah. yeah, yeah. And one other thing, just um, he he talks about, and and I suppose this is true of you know a lot of people who are successful. It's very easy for us to sit and go, well, it's all right for you because you had a great idea and the market was just right um, and you've got some knowledge, you know, and you've got drive and blah, blah, blah. But he actually says in one of the one of the chapters, it's called, I'm just as unmotivated as you. So, you know, he wants to eat waffles and, you know, lounge around and everything. He wants a six pack and he wants waffles. And he's having yes, to weigh them exactly. up all the time. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, and uh, he talks about his very entrepreneurial mum, which didn't come without its problems. She was incredibly entrepreneurial, lo loads of different businesses, but also failed many times. So he's probably learned from her, you know, that, that drive that to have a go and, and to do things. But I think they were in challenging circumstances when he was younger, certainly because of that. And it's the classic entrepreneur thing. An entrepreneur has the ideas, yes, but they also know when to walk away, yeah, and 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 go for something else, and that, that's not all. We're not always all very good at that. Actually, yeah. going, actually, that ain't working. So, cut your losses. <laughs> but all in all, a lovely book. Yeah. I would highly recommend it uh, for any age group. You know what? Even if you're not thinking of being in business or starting a business, I think there's so many good life lessons in there um, that I, I think you'll enjoy reading it because his writing style is not, he's not, it's not like an instruction manual. He's not saying you should do this and I'm right and you're wrong. 
it's just got a lovely conversational style about it. He admits where he went wrong, he admits his weaknesses, and then he explores how he's developed. Lovely. I really love it. So there we go. That's Happy Sexy Millionaire, The Unexpected Truths About Fulfillment, Love and Success by Stephen Bartlett. I'll put a link to that uh, along with uh, the other articles and things that we've talked about on our website, which is the business.community. So, at the moment, it's all about football. Isn't it just? It's all about football, Heather. Yeah. I like a bit of football, to be fair. I'm not a fan. No, oh, sorry. <laughs> this lady should interest you, though. But she's, she's got um, quite something about her, I think. Um, she's the new CEO at Wrexham Association Football Club. And her name is Fleur Robinson. And now, Wrexham, since last year, has been on a very strange journey. I remember the day when I was looking on Twitter. My whole family were looking at Twitter. We were all going, what? Is this a joke? What? This um, can't be happening. And it was announced that... Um, so we knew there were some people looking to buy Wrexham. That's not new. Uh, it's been through a number of different owners. At that point, it was owned by the members. It was um, experiencing stability it hadn't had for years. It was doing okay. And yet there were these two famous people, not disclosed at the time. Turned out on this day, and I remember it clearly with everybody's surprise, just ricochet, not just around Wrexham. It was on BBC Sport. Friends all over the world are going... Is this true? <laughs> and um, it's Rob uh, McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds wanted to buy the club. They have since bought the club from um, from the members and they've appointed a new CEO, Fleur Robinson. I had never heard of her before and um, I, I don't think um, many apart from the, the real football fans would have necessarily heard of her. But this woman, if she was a stick of rock, she'd have football written through her, I think. She was brought up you know, in a football ground, Burton Albion Football Club. And her dad's been heavily involved in the football club. And she mentioned in, in an article I was reading that you know, she was there so often that she'd play with the cleaners. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and she's now the chief exec officer. She joined on the 1st of June. She's... Also got something in common with me. She went to the same university and did that well, same sort of degree. She did a business degree, business and innovation degree. And when I did my degree, innovation wasn't added on the end. <laughs> but I like the sound of that one. She she did a, a degree at Staffordshire University as I did my first degree at Staffordshire University. Um, but I haven't got on to be involved in football, not in the slightest. Um, but she's involved in the, you know, so really in the depths of football, in the grassroots level. Her dad, um, I could say, has been heavily involved in um, Burton Albion. I think he's had two stints, Ben Robinson. He was born in Burton and uh, he, he had an early on stint in um in Burton when she was a small child and then he came back and then she got involved and she was um, development um, director, commercial director, sorry, of Burton Albion. So 
yeah, she's, she's a really interesting character um, and not one that I expected to see at Wrexham. But she's written a beautiful open letter to the members explaining where she's coming from, why she made the move from Burton, which was a very difficult move for her. She was there for 24 years or something, yeah. wasn't she? Yeah, she, she went there having just finished her degree, went to work, uh, took the opportunity with her dad um, uh, to go and help develop Burton Albion. And like I say, it wasn't just a job gifted to her by because her dad was involved in the football club. She's She's done some real good things there. And it's, it was quite a big um, wrench for her to move from Burton Albion. But she just said that what the new owners were bringing to it was just too exciting an opportunity to pass on. And um, Rob and Ryan have both said that Fleur's enthusiasm itself shone through when they were interviewing. So do we know two very else... enthusiastic people. Do we know who else they interviewed? No, do you? No, 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 I just, yeah. I would imagine quite a few people will have interviewed, but I don't know if people make it um, public knowledge whether they've not got a job, I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm sure there there were a number of people in the hat, but, uh, yeah, she's she's a really interesting choice, and the sort of things that she... Um, oh, are you playing oh, adverts on there? Got a pop up that came up, sorry. Pop-ups, Heather, you need a pop-up blocker. I definitely do, sorry about that. So... I mean, I, I've waffled on about Wrexham because I know the history of what's gone on since last year and the unbelievable sort of story that is Hollywood buys Wrexham Football Club. <laughs> yeah, that's a story in itself. But let's get back to Fleur. What did you find out about Fleur? And did you find her as intriguing as me? Well, I have to admit, I'm not a big fan of football, but what I did find... Um, is pop-ups, in, I can see them. Yeah, they're all over the blooming place. Um, what I did find really interesting is that um, she, she's she been in football for a long time. Uh, I have no idea at what level Burton Albion play. Okay. okay. Um, so this is the measure of my, my knowledge. Uh, but she is totally not like the Karen Brady's of this world. I remember Karen Brady before she was Karen Brady, if you kind of know yeah. what I mean, you know, when she was a bit more at the grassroots end of football. football yeah. yeah. And, um, and, and she was a trailblazer without a doubt. Um, although, you know, she was in partnership with, was it Bristol? Birmingham. Birmingham. That's it. Yeah. Birmingham city. That's it. Yeah. Um, so to see Fleur, quietly uh, unassuming quiet, exactly. yeah, yeah. having done 24 years she's now you know working with a couple of guys yeah. Yeah. i think what's appealed to them is what she's done with with her, her dad and with with the whole team at burton is they've taken uh, burton through the ranks yes so okay. so they have gone gone up in the league and and that's obviously where they want Wrexham back into the English Football League and they've they've built a new stadium you know and they've they've gone through some big changes as she's been at the helm um, and I think that's you know what she could potentially be bringing to Wrexham is steering the club as it improves and there's also talk of investment in the stadium so that experience will will come to because the stadium at Burton is the Pirelli Stadium now, isn't it? Yeah, so it used that's... to be called the Eaton Park. Did it? Yeah. So um, Wrexham is... is the that race course. The race course. But who's it sponsored by? Wrexham Lager? No. No. 
Who's it sponsored by? Nobody. Oh, I don't know. All the stands are sponsored by somebody different. Well, not a big enough fan. <laughs> well, no, okay, but but you know, if she's got Pirelli, yeah, yeah, that's a big name. That's quite a coup. Yeah, to have a and big. You can imagine the possibilities for her coming in, thinking of all these business opportunities that she can build on, because you've got two Hollywood names associated yeah. with it. I mean, who wouldn't be excited at the prospect of developing? With those two names yeah. there. Yeah. It's going to open doors, isn't it? Yeah, and their gin. Aviation gin. Is it Ryan Reynolds? That's Ryan's gin? business, yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah. It, I struggled to find out much about her, other than the football side yeah. of her life. I didn't find out much about her sort of domestic, personal life. No, there's not a lot she's out there. a private person. By yeah. Um, she's, um, she's got children. Uh, they like watching football as well, which is probably a good thing, isn't it, given that the family's involved in there. And she's very interested in women's football as well. Um, and she's she's looking to help, um, you know, to, to set up um, schemes to help women into football and young girls into football and also um, getting involved in other community projects as well. So I think, you know... That, together with the big name and somebody who actually knows how to do grassroots football and community development, it's very exciting. It is. Yeah, it's quite interesting, isn't it? But, yeah, so just this week she published a letter to um, all Wrexham AFC supporters, staff and volunteers. Um, and she addressed the fact that um, um, that there is some disappointment in the town. You know, it's the elephant in the room. We've got new owners and they haven't gone up. So you know they've been in the national in um out of the English football league for so many years and every year it's like will we go will we go up and they didn't go up but you know they, they've only just been bought you know it's right at the beginning mm. of the journey and she just said you know there there is disappointment about missing out on the playoffs but I think her letter to me is it's about giving them hope and letting them know that you know what they're planning to achieve in terms of um. The, the upgrade to the ground and the the new management team and she just she's saying and I think setting expectations really well in the letter is that we'll achieve the goal of moving back into the English Football League one step at a time yeah and this it's the only way to do it isn't yeah, it yeah and this sounds like a period of consolidation you know if you were looking at this as as a business we of course it is a business yeah it's it's the okay we're bringing in new people we're going to lay the foundations. But you've got to just sit and, and see yeah. how it is yeah. to start you can't off with, haven't you? Go in all guns blazing and it's it's right. Let's yeah. get the let's get the, the foundation right and then we'll build on that. And I think this is the measure of the woman, as you know, she finishes this off by saying, My focus is to spend time with people at the club, in the town and the community, to understand how I can help the football club to achieve its potential and to have a sustainable future in the English Football League. That's a good businesswoman mm. to me. Mm. She's not saying yes, we're going to we're, we're going to throw all the money at it this season and yeah. we'll go up, and the risk is then you bounce straight back down. Yeah. Yeah. She's looking at it for the long term, and I think that's a great uh, it's a great outlook for any business really. Yeah. But it's a great one if you're a Wrexham supporter as well. There you go, Heather. Did you think we'd talk about football in this show? Not not at this level. I, no. I am concerned I haven't got the facts right because I'm not. You know, I'm not a massive Wrexham fan. I'm a Wrexham fan by marriage. <laughs> by association. By association. Because your, your husband and son, son and, and daughter oh, are daughter all season ticket holders. Right. Yeah. And you're not? 
No, no, I was a Liverpool season ticket holder, but we, we don't yeah. talk about that anymore. <laughs> no. um, yeah, so I, I don't have all the actual facts, so I do apologise if you're listening to this and you know way more about Wrexham. I'm sorry, but I am inspired by your new CEO, and I think, uh, you know, given the chance, she's going to really do what she promises to do in that letter. That's all we've got time for this week on The Business Community. If you've enjoyed listening to this week's podcast, you can find out about all the things that we've talked about over the years at our website, which is thebusiness.community. We do hope you'll join us again next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business. Bye.